The world is wild and wonderful. There's so much yet to know. So here we are with questions. It's a what in the Sam Hill show. We've done the math. We've read the books. We've searched through archives. Oh, we're nerds and we're letting our freak flag fly. Letting it fly. Oh, we're nerds and we're letting our freak flag fly. Welcome back, nerds! My name is Aaron, and this is the What in the Sam Hill podcast, where I apply academic rigor to the mystical, preternatural, and downright weird, because I want to understand the inner workings of the universe, and I assume you do too. Today is going to be a little bit different of an episode for a couple of reasons. One, uh, well, first of all, it's Monday morning which is not typically when I've been doing this, but um, I'm trying something new. It turns out that uh, my child is very needy when it comes to uh, me, and so it, it was hard to get any block of time at night where she didn't wake up in the middle, and then my husband was trying to deal with it, but she doesn't want him after 7 p.m. or whatever. So instead, I'm trying to do this during the day while she is at school. So we're going to try that. Um, although I do have to go back to muggle work because I am behind. Um, the other thing we are trying today is we are trying, I am recording this in my bedroom instead of in my office. I'm hoping the amount of fabric is going to help uh, mitigate some of the squeak well for example like for example my office chair is very squeaky so i'm gonna try to mitigate that by sitting on my bed (laughs) Uh, i still don't have a fancy microphone yet i'm working with a just an old gaming headset so it's hard for to uh mitigate some of that background noise and my dogs are currently whining i don't want to let them out though because it's cold and then they'll want back in in five minutes and then they'll want to go back out in, in five minutes you know how that goes Um, and then the other thing that's a little bit different today is that some of this is going to be not necessarily as, uh, researched. This is, some of this is just kind of in my head, kicking around and making connections. So, um, but there is some stuff, going to be some references in the show notes. So keep an eye on that if you want a little more information. Um, and I will try to reference, uh, where I got some of this information, uh, as I go through it. Um, but this is a little bit more of a pop culture type episode, which <clears throat> is fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with pop culture. Uh, a lot, there's actually a lot, a fair amount of esoteric information in pop culture and people just don't realize it if they don't have the knowledge. You know what I mean? I mean once you, once you start to learn this stuff, you really see it everywhere. So, What we're going to be talking about today is the esotericism of Harry Potter in general, but more specifically, the serious black character. Um, And this is something that I just find super fascinating. So being a millennial, I grew up with Harry Potter. I was born in 91, and I think the books came out in like 96. The first book came out like 96, 97. I did not read it immediately, but I think I started reading along with each release date starting maybe with the second book third book I don't know it's hard for me to remember 
I have, I know I have the hard covers, so I got them early, but, and I remember reading them in elementary school, but I just don't know how old I was. I don't have a lot of mem, <clears throat> a good timeline pre like high school. <laughs> uh, I just don't, uh, you know, it all kinds blend, kind of blends together. Um, but we're all kind of told this story of JK Rowling, um, being this poor single mom, uh, the ultimate rags to riches story. She was writing it down on napkins and restaurants, um, cause she didn't have paper, which even she says that, no, it's just cause I like, it's not cause I was too poor for paper. It's because I was like on the train and a napkin is what I had. But anyway, she describes it more as like a download of information almost like it was just there and she was writing and she had basically all seven books lined out before she even um started with uh the final you know version of, of the first one but i have doubts about that and the reason i have doubts about that about that is because Harry Potter has so much esoteric knowledge within it. Um, so much symbolism, so many references. The idea that she would just get this information and it not like it not be from some sort of mystery school, I find doubtful. I would imagine that there is some sort of background of Masonic teaching or um, even OTO, Thelema, uh, Theosophy, you know, something. Um, the Some of these ideas are relatively new. Some of them are really old, but it's just... There's so much, like it's so much. And I'm not talking about like the way that Christian conservatives look at Harry Potter and go, oh, you can't read that. It's got wizards and magic and you'll want to do magic. No, I'm talking about like straight up alchemy, ancient, deep, dark alchemy and other types of esoterica. So I, I mean, stuff that would blow the minds of Christian conservatives if they actually knew. So in a way, it's funny because they actually kind of have a point <laughs> to it. But um, there's just, I mean, it's just so much. And I think one of the reasons why Harry Potter has been so successful, like, for example, growing up, I loved Artemis Fowl. And I think Artemis Fowl, from a like from the perspective of me growing up as a little nerd, I actually enjoyed Artemis Fowl more than I enjoyed Harry Potter. Um, but I think that the reason that Harry Potter has been so successful and is so prevalent across our culture is because it does resonate with some like deep knowing within us that we can't even comprehend. Um, because, or most of us can't comprehend because most of us don't know anything about esoterica. So I really think that the esoteric nature of Harry Potter is why it's so prevalent. I mean, there's even that podcast where they like literally read Harry Potter as if it was the Bible. 
um, or some sort of like religious text. And it's funny, but also when you understand how much esoteric stuff is in it and spiritual like symbolism is in it, kind of isn't that funny anymore. I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? So today we're going to look at just the serious black character. There's no, I mean, it would take an enti- like an entire dedicated podcast, hundreds of episodes to really discuss every component of Harry Potter. But today I want to look at the Sirius Black character. And this is going to be an overview. I mean, even Sirius Black itself, himself, um, is so intricate that it would take me multiple episodes. So this may be something that we re- revisit over time. But today I want to kind of give an overview of all of this information um, and some of the connections that I made. So Sirius Black, um, for those who kind of don't remember Harry Potter, Sirius Black is the godfather of Harry Potter. He was the best friend, um, one of the best friends of Harry's father, James. He was one of the marauders, the four marauders. Um, and then he goes on to be framed for the murder of Harry's parents, spends 12 years in Azkaban, breaks out in the third film or third book. Well, and film, but yes, I try to reference the books more than the films because the books actually have so much more, um, you know, there's only so much that you can fit into a book or into a film that's made off of a book. So I try to reference the books more because there is more. Actually, my favorite part of the first book got completely cut out of the movie and I was so disappointed. It's when they're going to um, try to, there are, going through those, all those challenges to get to the Sorcerer's Stone. Well, there's one challenge where they're like having to figure out which potion to drink to get through the fire. And um, it just was like completely cut out. And I was like, that, was so t- that one to me as a, as a, well, as a nerd was cooler than the flying wings, but whatever. Anyway, so that's kind of the background of the serious black character. I'll mention a, a few more facts about him as we go along, but serious black is really interesting because he's named after Sirius the star and Sirius the star actually is a binary star. Well, as far as we know is a binary star. Actually, the science is coming out that there's possible that there is a third component, a third star within the system. And the reason that they think that is because Sirius B, the second component of the star, is actually very, like, it's difficult to predict. It seems like the orbit is off for some reason, and scientists think that possibly the reason why that would be seeming off is because there's actually a third star component that is um, messing with the orbit, right? Because once you encounter once you account for the attractions of a third star within the orbit, it the calculations make more sense. So there's speculation that there's a third component, but we don't have proof yet, as far as I am aware. Um, but in general, it's considered 
a two-component star, Sirius A and Sirius B. Sirius A is the bright star that we're familiar with, um, the one that you will see in the night sky with the naked eye. Well, if you live outside of a city. Um, Sirius B is the darker component. And so I find that very interesting. Okay, so first you've got Sirius Black, and he's named for Sirius B, the dark component of of Sirius. And so you've got the black being the dark. And if you look at just the uh the like Wikipedia of Sirius Black, um, which some of this information, by the way, does come from the Wikipedia. Well, I mean all of it does because I wasn't gonna reread all the books. Sorry. I don't have time right now, at least. Um but the uh you know some of this stuff in the wikipedia or the like the harry potter wiki actually comes from like tweets and other stuff of jk rowling over the years but it all coalesces into one universe and so that's why i just took it for what it's what it's worth and then the um the harry potter wiki is actually really well cited so i'm not too worried about people having like made stuff up like you would on maybe general wiki um but anyway they'll they'll tell you on the wikipedia that oh it's ironic because sirius is the blazing star and black is dark and so it's like opposite well no it's actually sirius b the dark component of sirius um and actually sirius b is a I think it's a white dwarf star, but it just appears to us as being almost like a shadow because it's so dim compared to Sirius A. Um, so anyway, Sirius, you start and you've got Sirius Black the third. Well, right off the bat, I'm looking at three and that's a sacred number. Um, Sirius Black is one of the four marauders. Well, four is uh, also a sacred number, one of the four elements. The four elements are what the houses of of um, Hogwarts are, are uh, developed after. And then you've got him spending 12 years in Azkaban. Three times four, 12. 12 is also a sacred number. You've got the 12 Zodiac. Um, 12 tribes of Israel. We see the number 12 over and over again in um, various ancient religions. And I do find it interesting that, so three is the number of spirit. Um, as far as alchemy is concerned, you've got the three, three primes, and then you've got the four elements. Four is the, is matter, right? And so then you've got these sacred numbers that pop up in almost every religion being seven and 12. 7 is 3 plus 4, 12 is 3 times 4. So you've got this conjunction of matter and spirit happening, um, and you see 7 and 12. I mean, obviously, I come from a, a Christian background, so I see 7 and 12 all the time in the Bible, but 7 and 12 are almost universal in their importance. And so that's really fascinating to me. But then going into a more about Sirius Black himself. Well, he's an animagus, a dog animagus, a black dog animagus, actually. Um, well, 
Sirius is known as the Dog Star. It's found in Canis Major, which is known as the Great Dog. Um, and that, well, that's the constellation. And one of the characteristics of Sirius the Star is that it appears to follow Orion through the night sky. Um, so Sirius is often related to Orion within the mythology and legends of various cultures because it appears to follow Orion in the night sky. So it's the dog of Orion. Well, Orion is the name of Sirius's father in the movie and the book. Why do I keep saying the movie? I guess because I've seen the movie more recently than I've read the book. Um, another interesting thing is that Sirius Black actually was sorted into Gryffindor instead of Slytherin, like the rest of his family. Well, Gryffindor is related to the, um, element of fire. If you were to correspond all of the houses to their elements and Sirius A is this, is the blazing star that we see in the night sky. So their element of fire then corresponds between Gryffindor and, um, and Sirius the star. Also, interestingly, Gryffindor, the house is known for its loyalty. Um, obviously it's not necessarily as loyal as, um, uh, oh, Hufflepuff, brain fart. I need more coffee, but it is one of the traits that they value is loyalty, bravery, etc. Pardon for a coffee break. And, um, and you see that loyalty in Sirius as it follows Orion through the night sky. Another thing is that, um, Sirius Black's mother was, uh, Walpurga Black, which is interesting because, so the Black family is, well, really inbred, but whatever. <laughs> um, it's almost everyone is named for a star, which is its own kind of, uh, you know, esoteric knowledge. If you know anything about ancient religions, man, do they really look at the stars. Nearly everything in ancient religions is related to astronomy and cosmology and then astrology out of that. Although, you know, to them, astrology would not have been considered junk science. That was part of their astronomy. But regardless, it's interesting that you've got, um, kind of this ubiquitous, Astro astronomical cosmological knowledge across the uh, religions, and then you also see it in Sirius, um, more specifically, but also just Harry Potter in general. So Sirius's family, everyone is named after a star, but his mom is Walpurga, and you say, oh, okay, well, she married into the family. Why would she be named for a star? Well, she was a black also. It's just that she was, she married her like second cousin or third cousin or whatever. Um, but Walpurga is interesting because technically she's St. Walpurga, a ninth century nun, but it realistically, um, she was probably a goddess of the Germanic religions that was then um, appropriated by, well, I hate the word appropriated because it has um, 
so many connotations these days, but essentially appropriated, for lack of a better term, into Catholicism by the Catholic Church because of their methods of outreach at the time. So the idea that she was really actually um, a ninth century nun is probably slim. Um, but anyway, it's this figure that is um, really prevalent at the May Day celebration. So they actually call in, um, in like, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's Germany, but I think it might be just the region in general. Um, May Day, or what the Irish would call Beltane, in Germany is called Walpurgisnacht. Uh, obviously, there's a German accent, and I'm sure the, well, the, the W would be a V. Um, so it's Walpurgisnacht, but whatever. The May Day, the fact that you've got Walpurga corresponded to May Day in this celebration is really, really important because May Day is associated with the divine feminine across so many cultures. So, um, Beltane in, um, in Ireland, that would be, um, well, let's just say the maypole is definitely a phallic symbol. So, at Beltane, you've got the impregnation of the, divine feminine going on um but also even in the catholic church they've appropriated um may as being a very important month for the blessed virgin mary i believe it is like i don't really know all of the ins and outs of catholicism but it's like the month of may is dedicated to mary so you've got this divine feminine womb giving birth to Sirius. And that's important because Sirius as a star is extremely important to multiple ancient religions. Specifically, you see it in Egypt and you see it in the Dogon. And Dogon are a really fascinating African tribe. They're actually, I believe, in West Africa and like Burkina Faso and Mali, if I remember correctly. But they are really important and prevalent or they're really important in this context because they worship Sirius and they have maintained a very ancient knowledge of the star Sirius that actually can explain things that we are only now discovering. Um, obviously, if you're in certain circles, they uh, really, really doubt this, but the information we have from the Dogon comes from these French scientists or anthropologists, maybe, that got into the uh, Dogon tribe in like the 30s and spent years becoming friendly with the tribe and then the elders. And eventually they were kind of let on, let in on the secrets. And some of these secrets then have been, so that information has then been translated and um, applied to scientific knowledge as we have it. And people are going, oh, wow, this is really, really um, lining up in some interesting ways. Um, but it is controversial. The serious mystery 
um, was one of kind of the first texts to talk about this in a more esoteric sense. That was by Robert Temple. And then um, Laird Scranton more, more recently has taken up kind of the, the mantle on this. And I really identify with Laird Scranton for multiple reasons. But one of the reasons is because he is, well, was originally a software engineer who has taken his kind of concept of systems and uh, even the ways you, you create software which I suck at computers, so <laughs> ironic, I know. Um, but I guess, like, the way you write a program, the steps to write a program, that knowledge, too, has informed how he has um, come at mythology, legends, and esotericism. So he is someone who lives in this esoteric and mythological space but also comes at it with an engineer brain and to me as an engineer i find that so fascinating and i really identify that with that um which does color my skepticism but like i said from the beginning of this show I'm not really a skeptic so you know take me with many grains of salt also but laird scranton has really done some interesting work with the dogons um originally and then he's expanded to other spaces, but he is um, kind of the the head guy when it comes to um, who you need to look at in the esoteric space for the Dogon. But one of the things in in um, hold on these dogs, we have an entire house, and they choose right next to me to be where they play of course um so i don't i can't remember exactly what i was saying but the dogon they have this information about sirius and some of it's really fascinating so for example you've got um sirius as kind of an orbital like how they orbit around themselves a and b that's a, a 50 year cycle as we know from science. Well, apparently according to Laird Scranton in the Dogon, they say that it's a 60 year cycle to the general public, but then within the priesthood themselves, they know it to be 50 years. And every time the, the uh, festival that they celebrate every quote unquote 60 years is, is, uh, getting nearer and nearer they find a reason supposedly to have the the festival be at the 50 year mark instead of the 60 year mark for one excuse or another so that's pretty interesting although um i'm not sure that it, it actually relates back to Sirius black uh he himself obviously did not make it to um to 50 years actually he died when he was 36 which is three times 12 again you've got these sacred numbers showing up and it's interesting too because it then takes you know he's serious black the third and he it breaks his life into these three 12 year kind of um cycles if you were to think it that way it's not really how it worked out in his life but it, it's still an interesting concept when you think about it um but 
uh, I do find it interesting that the average age for um, the average lifespan of a male in the black family is supposedly 59 years, which is quite similar to that 60 that the Dogon claim is, is the uh, orbital structure of Sirius, but actually they always celebrate at 50, which is more uh, in line with the uh, scientific information that we have. So the Dogon, they claim that the information or, well, people claim about the Dogon that the information about Sirius and the rest of their cosmology was passed down to them by Nomo or the Nomo. And these, from all accounts that I've could find are some sort of like amphibious situation. Um, with, if you listen to free Freeman fly, who is like, uh, amazing and if you don't listen to him you totally should he is you know first rate in the esoteric community has done a lot with finding esoteric symbolism in pop culture and in corporate logos and all that but um he always refers to them as the mer people and that's that's informed by his work on corporate logos including you know the starbucks logo that is uh, a mer woman mermaid um and if you actually look at the original um the original logo of starbucks had a little bit more of that lady in that picture and it turns out those things up by her head are um the halves of her uh tail that are split open in order to get to her lady bits. Um, but anyway, this like concept of amphibious people, um, mer people, whatever is it's found across different cultures and different knowledge systems, but that's kind of what this nomo, um, are. And, Freeman Fly also calls the Nomo the Great Abomination. I don't know. Um, I don't have a citation for that. I'm not saying that he's wrong. He's probably not because he has a whole bunch of information that I don't. Um, but I just don't have a citation for that if you're looking in the show notes. Anyway, it's interesting that this information of Sirius comes to the Dogon from these amphibious people because Sirius Black comes from a long, 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 long line of Slytherins. And Slytherins are associated with water. Um, if you're going to look at the structure of the, the four elements, but also Slytherin common room is under the lake. I mean, there's, there's totally this associate, their color is green. There's a, there's intense association with this like myrrh kind of, um, this amphibious structure. And so that's, that's a correlation that I find extremely interesting in the Harry Potter book that I don't think most people would, would find and, and, um, put two and two together. The other thing about um, 
Slytherin is that you've got this, um, you know, their, their, uh, mascot is the snake. Well, the snake could be associated with Scorpio, the constellation, and the constellation of Scorpio is directly opposite of Orion in the night sky. So not only is Sirius Black leaving his roots in this Scorpio-based, Slytherin-based structure, but he is going to the literal opposite end of the sky. So, I mean, you've got this really interesting cosmological um, landscape, really. I mean, it's it's the full landscape, right? Um, now, I will say in Egyptology, there is a bit of a debate on whether um, this Sopdet Sothis character is Sirius or if it's uh, Venus by way of Isis. Um, but Sirius is also extremely important in the Egyptian culture. It aligns with the um, various shafts that are in the pyramids. And that's interesting because the Great Pyramids align as a structure with Orion. So you see Orion and Sirius being extremely important in the Egyptian um, mythology. And the hieroglyphs of the Dogon are extremely similar to the hieroglyphs of Egypt. So it's possible that the, a lot of that ancient knowledge about Sirius that the Dogon have comes to them via um, the Egyptians as well. But it's certainly not any sort of um, modern narrative. Actually, the Dogons even have um, Sirius C in their um, cosmological legends, and we don't even know in science yet if that's a thing. So it's possible the Dogons still have information that we cannot grasp. Another thing that I want to mention about Sirius Black, his brother is Regulus. Again, like I said, um, every, all of the night sky is... Um, or all of the of the black family is named after a star in the night sky but regulus is important because regulus is alpha leonis heart of the lion and it is the brightest star on the physical ecliptic um the ecliptic being the center line of the uh of the cosmological orbital uh you know, night sky. And, uh, and that's actually the ecliptic is where we get our, our 12 zodiac signs. But this is really interesting because Sirius itself is the brightest star in the night, or is like, I, I'm pretty sure it's the brightest star in the night sky. Um, now that I'm saying that out loud, I doubt myself because, uh, well, I'm tired. I am, yeah, it is the brightest star in the night sky. See, the thing is, it's dimmer than like Venus and the planets. And so it, um, it doesn't necessarily seem like it might be the brightest thing that you're going to see, but it is technically the brightest star in the night sky because it doesn't move, obviously, like our planets do. Um, but so then you've got Regulus being the brightest star on the ecliptic, 
and Sirius being the star, the brightest star overall. And so, um, that's really interesting that they're brothers and they're both the brightest stars. But also, you've got to think that there's some correlation there between Regulus being the preferred child. Um, you know, he kind of fell in line with his parents' understanding of like everything, you know, um, how the universe works. And it's interesting then if, if Regulus, the star is the brightest star in the ecliptic and the ecliptic is what we base our zodiac off of, you know, it may be, it, it would be easy to, um, look at Sirius Black and Regulus Black and take their story and apply it to this night sky where you say, okay, well, Sirius's parents thought that this zodiac was exactly how the cosmological interface was. And that's the best way to base it off of. Um, and yet, you know, they bet on the wrong horse and Sirius the star is not in the ecliptic per se, and yet it is the most important star. It's the brightest star. So, I mean, that's an interesting interplay also. Because, yes, the Zodiac is extremely important when it comes to um, legend, mythology, religion. But um, it is Sirius that is the brightest star in the night sky, and it is Sirius that has some of the most important connotations when it comes to ancient religion. Um, also, another interesting fact that I found was that, you know, we kind of think of um, Sirius being a... Uh, well, how do I put this? Um, Sirius, the character, is just not necessarily interested in romance. Um, we see him as a companion. We see him, um, he's just, he, he's not interested in women necessarily. Not necessarily gay. I mean, he's not interested in men either. He's just not interested. He's just do doing his own thing. And, um, And that's interesting because Sirius, Sirius the star, it, Sirius A is, you know, more seen in the, the fertility, um, fertility rights and all that. But Sirius B is not necessarily that way. It's more than just the companion. So, um, I found that really, really interesting too. And you know what? There's more. I, this is, I'm not even scratching the surface here. Um, this is just, you know, part of it. And yet you see, you know, you've got Sirius Black. He's named after Sirius B. His family is all named after um, stars or, you know, his mother being a goddess the that's representative of the divine feminine. Sirius, um, as a star, you know, aligns with that information uh, Sirius, the character, he comes from this long line of Slytherins that, you know, then correspond to the Nomo, the amphibious, um, mer people that supposedly gave the Dogon all of their information. But he goes 180 and instead of 
you know, going with this water element, he goes with the fire element, which is the direct opposite. Fire and water are direct opposites in alchemy, and earth and air are direct op opposites. You can see this just in their symbols itself, because water is just a trying a downward-facing triangle, fire is an upward-facing triangle, whereas the earth element is the downward-facing triangle with the slash line, and air element is the upward-facing triangle of the... Um, with a slash line. So he goes from this water-based family to this fire-based uh, house. Um, and that, you know, that also corresponds with what we talked about, where he goes from, you know, you've got this association with Scorpio, and then going 180 over to Sirius the Star, which is right next to Orion, which is directly opposite um, Scorpio in the night sky. We see that, you know, even in uh, Greek legend, that's really, really important that Scorpio and Orion are directly opposite in the night sky. And that's, you know, the more, like, esoteric stuff that's not even the obvious stuff, which is uh, Sirius Black being this big black dog, um, nicknamed Padfoot, um, within the four marauders, and... uh he, you know, Sirius the star is the dog star that follows Orion, and it's the, you know, the brightest star in the night sky, but it's also in Canis Major, the great dog constellation. So there's just so much here. And, you know, another thing that I find fascinating is that um, you've got, uh, there's four marauders, right? So there's Padfoot, Prongs, um, Mooney, and uh, Wormtail. And the three good ones, Padfoot, Prongs being the stag of um, uh, James Potter, and then Mooney obviously being the werewolf, uh, Lupin, Remus Lupin. Um, a Lupin is another character. Okay, Remus being Romulus and Remus, the twins that founded Rome that were nursed off of the uh, female wolf. So, of course, then you've got Remus being um, a, uh, a, um, a werewolf. So, there's so much, th so much there. But also, you've got Prongs, Padfoot, and Mooney being uh, the, con the associated constellations of, like, the stag, the wolf, and the dog are, like, roughly three three and three in the night sky they do kind of divide it into thirds if you're looking at the star map um and left out of that equation is uh peter Pettigrew, wormtail well it's really funny and ironic to me that sirius black was um betrayed by a rat <laughs> i'm not sure that there's a cosmological significance to that but i think it's just uh, a play on our our terminology he's uh you know he's a rat you know he ratted him out so um there's so much in harry potter when it comes to all of this esoteric knowledge it's something that i think we all kind of take for granted and yet it resonates with us on some deep level and so that is why we continue to be fascinated with it um 
I myself love Harry Potter, but it's not necessarily because of the characters. I actually don't care about the characters very much at all. I'm fascinated by the universe of of the Harry, the Harry Potter universe where you've got you know the Hogwarts houses being aligned. It's really it's the esoteric part of Harry Potter that fascinates me. Um so all of this stuff is just sitting there ripe for the picking. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, in um, a thousand, two thousand years, I'm not going to say that Harry Potter is going to overtake the Bible, but I will be uh, interested to see that if, you know, even if a few hundred years, if people will put Harry Potter on this mythological pedestal that we do with, say, Homer's The Odyssey or... um uh, the Hesiod or, you know, any of these major Greek myths or even biblical legend. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out. Oh, and another thing, um, Sirius Black was killed by Bellatrix, Bellastri- Bellatrix Lestrange, who is his cousin, um, because everyone is related to everyone in that family, I swear. Um, but Bellatrix, the star is actually, um, the third brightest star in Orion. And so it's interesting that it would be, um, a piece of Orion, a piece of kind of the father, uh, that it, that then slays the son for, um, we'll say stepping out of line with the family business, but I mean, how often do you have this father slaying the son narrative, um, in mythology offhand? I can think of the, uh, you know, the Bible, although I wouldn't necessarily couch it in those terms of betraying, um, betraying the family, you know, obviously it's different, different narrative, but it's a father sacrificing his son. And then, uh, you know, on the other end, you've got, um, Isaac who was willing to sacrifice, or I'm sorry, Abraham who was willing to sacrifice his son, Isaac, because that was culturally, that was what was happening. I mean, um, we, it is, is really interesting to see, like, for example, in the Bible, you've got, um, Jezebel and her priests in, um, they are in conflict with the priests of, of the, you know, the Hebrew nation or whatever, priests of Yahweh. And they're talking about there, they have this like battle to see who's the better priest and, um, and the priests of Yahweh win. Well, the priests of Jezebel to me are representing Saturn and I'll get to why, whereas the priests of Yahweh are representing Jupiter. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Yahweh definitely is this Jupiter trope. Um, even Yahweh as the letters, um, correspond to Jove, which is another name for, to Jupiter in the Roman culture. So, you know, that's Saturn, uh, being overtaken by his son, Yahweh, which we see, or I'm sorry, Jupiter, which we see in Greek and Roman mythology. But Saturn 
worship had a lot of, of child sacrifice. And we know that because, uh, so Jezebel was from Tyre, Tyre, T-Y-R-E, and that's a Phoenician culture. They were very definitely Saturn-based. Um, but also her niece or something, great-niece, grand-niece, niece, something like that, then went over and founded Carthage. And we have the archaeological evidence in Carthage right now that shows there was a ton of child sacrifice happening. And one would assume that if that, um, if Carthaginian religion was based out of this Phoenician, uh, religion that they practiced in Tyre, then, um, the religion of Jezebel and the religion of her, like, niece or whatever would have similar repercussions as far as child sacrifice is concerned. So, there was a ton of child sacrifice happening in the Bible. It's not unrealistic to think that this Orion myth of, um, or the serious black concept of being killed by a piece of his father being, um, Bellatrix as part of the Orion constellation. It's just, there's so many layers and I don't know how much of this is like me applying to stuff and kind of stretching it a little bit. I mean, I think the, uh, like, for example, the serious Regulus concept of like, well, Regulus is the brightest star within this structure, but actually Sirius is the brightest star, you know, that kind of thing. I think that's probably a little bit of a stretch, but even then, you know, the fact that Regulus is the bright is also a bright, very bright star and is the brother of Sirius, the brightest star, JK Rowling probably did know that. And is that, that is why she selected that name. Um, I don't know how much of the rest of it she knew, but I, there's no way if, if you knew how much esoteric knowledge was in Harry Potter, and this has just been a slice, but if you knew all of the esoteric knowledge across all of it, and I, you know, even I don't, but if, if, if one person could comprehend all of that, there's absolutely no way that you would believe that just some like poor single housewife, single mom housewife wrote this story just out of thin air. I mean, I guess theoretically, uh, if she got downloads from a higher power, you know, that kind of trumps uh, everything that we have as far as like logic is concerned. That just kind of like throws a wrench in everything. But from a, just a strictly human perspective, I mean, there's just no way, right? So I have a lot of questions about who JK Rowling actually is um, and what her background actually is. Cause I mean, a lot of this information is known to, uh, very, very high levels of masonry and all that. Um, and it could be known to lower levels of masonry if they actually read some of the books, but you know, at the lower levels of masonry, it is what you make of it. Um, my grandfather was actually a 30, well, it's like 32nd and a half. Cause there's like a level in between. Anyway, Growing up, all I ever knew was that he was like, it's like the level right below you basically have to like sell yourself. <laughs> and that's kind of how my dad put it. And I was like, oh, okay. I thought he meant from a time perspective. And now I'm feeling like, oh no, it's like the level right before you have to like really get initiated or whatever. But um, 
but yeah, so there's, uh, there's really a lot here, but it, there is ways that she could have known it without being, you know, necessarily in some like satanic sect or, you know, I don't, I don't want to p- cast any negative aspersions on it because I think a lot of this knowledge is really fascinating and really helpful and really speaks to the human condition and the universal condition. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to get it out to people, um, in a way that they can understand even if they don't necessarily understand that they're understanding it. I mean, that's the Bible, right? There's so much esoteric knowledge. I mean, the Zodiac is in the Bible, but your standard conservative Christian is not going to know that actually your standard Christian period. I say conservative, but that, you know, even the people that really, really read the Bible are not necessarily going to know that there's stuff in it, but they're still going to understand it on some level. And so you're getting that knowledge out there without forcing everyone to go through like alchemy initiation which they're just not going to do um nor does every person bless their hearts have the intellect to understand they just don't um and so mythology has been a way for uh priestly classes to get important religious information out to the masses um just you know, for millennia um from time uh, you know all of the recorded time that we have so anyway i hope you really really enjoyed this i did i can't wait to talk about this again more you know in a year two years whatever kind of revisit once i get more you know esoteric knowledge under my belt and see what else i see um from applying that viewpoint to harry potter but it it's interesting to me um just just how much is is in there right well oh another thing i completely forgot when peter pettigrew blow, blew himself up and blamed essentially blamed sirius black for it that explosion killed 12 muggles again you see the number 12 popping up so there's just so much there and I really, I challenge all, every single one of you to go reread some of these stories and see what you see. I think the books will have, you know, the they do have information in the movies, but the books have a lot more. And some of this stuff has been changed even from the books to the movies. For example, Ravenclaw, you know, this is probably the most famous example. Ravenclaw was a... um it was like a blue bronze color scheme in the movie or in the books. And then when it got to the movies, it was blue and silver, um, which to me has less significance. So it's there um, for the picking. If you're uh, ripe to read it. Um, and I challenge everyone to go back and, and do that. I have gone back and reread the first book and I mean, it is a kid's book. But there's still a lot of good stuff in there. And if you don't really care about the dialogue, <laughs> you can just kind of fast forward pretty easily. I will not be revisiting books five through seven because I don't like crying and, you know, people die. So <laughs> I won't be doing that. But I am hoping to reread um books one through four. Again, 
sometime soon, although uh, my schedule doesn't seem to be easing up anytime soon. I'll probably, I guess I'll get around to it sometime in like the next 10 years when my oldest kid is able to, uh, to start reading chapter books. Anyway, if I don't talk to you again before Christmas, which I'm not expecting that I will, um, please have a very Merry Christmas. Please enjoy time with your family. That's so important. It's really so good to uh, to connect with family and connect on things um, that aren't political. Obviously, you know, political discourse is healthy and it is something that we should talk about. We should have those types of discussions. But so much has become politicized that if it is something where it's going to split your family. Um, you know, maybe don't do it or at least put it away for a day and just let the stress leave your body because <laughs> it really just does like it winds you up. There's only so much that you can take and you just don't realize like your, your resting state is just so tight. Um, that's well, or I'm speaking from experience here, my experience. So maybe yours is different, but I encourage everyone to unplug, unwind, and really enjoy their family this holiday season. And I will speak to you again sometime before the new year. Have a wonderful Christmas, Hanukkah, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. Uh, there's another one in there too, I think. Boxing Day. Uh, anyway, have a great holiday.